Amen. Starting today, we're going to begin a series of sermons on our vision uh, and mission here at New City Fellowship. And we're entitling this series of sermons Together for the Gospel. Uh, Together for uh, the Gospel. Just a little bit on the process of how I preach on, on vision and mission stuff. I will be preaching from the text of Scripture. I always preach the text that is in front of me. I'll be preaching that text, but then also tr- applying that text uh, to us in terms of how we live out our vision and mission together uh, as a church uh, in this community. So again, over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about Together for the Gospel uh, and looking at our vision and mission here at New City Fellowship. I do want to read that vision statement for you this morning, and it says this. Here's what we have together said. Uh, we want to see God do with us here. We have said that we desire to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids as a God-glorifying, gospel-centered, biblically faithful, cross-cultural, justice-practicing Presbyterian church. So we're going to unpack that uh, vision over the next few weeks here, and we're going to begin by talking about just that first part of the vision, to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids, to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids. So I want to invite your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 of that text this morning. So listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways And we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray and ask you that as we look over these next few weeks at our vision and mission statement, that you would lead us and guide us. Father, we pray that you would open up the Word of God to us, that you would help us to understand it and receive it and lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Lord, we pray uh, that as we look at this vision and mission, Lord, our, our faith and hope in you would deepen and our commitment to walking in the ministry you have called us to would also deepen and be strengthened. We pray, uh, Father, even now, uh, as we look at this text for just a few moments, that you would be with us by the power of your Spirit to do that work in us. Make us more like your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be It's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus 
you're the center and everything revolves around you. Jesus, you're the center of it all, the center of it all. For the Apostle Paul, the person of Jesus was most certainly the center of it all, the central message of his preaching of the good news he proclaimed to Jew and to Gentile alike, men and women alike, slave and free alike, was the message about the person of Jesus. In fact, in this very text, he speaks of the light of the gospel as being the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And he speaks of the knowledge of the glory of God, the knowledge of who God is as being in the face of Jesus Christ that is in his person. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the one through whom we know God and the one through whom we are brought back into right relationship with that God. The forgiveness of our sins, that is the turning away of God's anger toward us for rebelling against his laws and corrupting our lives and the lives of others comes through the person of Jesus. The new life that is now working in us who believe, uh, who believe that, who believe this teaching, this teaching that tells us to say no to what is evil and unjust and yes to what is right and good, that new life comes through Jesus. The restoration of the human community divided across all our prideful boasts in our, in our own group comes through Jesus. Our hope of resurrection, of not having death be the final decision over us, and the hope of a new world where none of the corrupting uh, influence of our destructive behavior and rebellion will ever again be found, that comes through the person of Jesus. When the songwriter declares that Jesus is the center of it all, he is only repeating what has been the proclamation of the Scriptures, what was and is the centerpiece of Paul's preaching of the gospel. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I want you to hear me this morning, brothers and sisters. What we have as the church to offer our children, our families, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, and even our enemies is the good news about the person of Jesus. That's what you have to offer this neighborhood. That's what you have to offer your family members. That's what you have to offer your children and your neighbors and your coworkers is the person of Jesus. We have been called out to tell them that in Jesus, the glory of God, the God who created them is found, to tell them that in Him, restoration back to that God and all the benefits of that relationship with Him that He brings to tell them that it's in Jesus Christ the Lord. In these few verses, Paul speaks to the ministry or the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And while it appears clear from the text that Paul is taking on critics who have attacked him personally, as well as the gospel message he has proclaimed, Paul does not speak in the first person singular here. Instead, he speaks of a we, a collective who have received this ministry of making Jesus known, of serving God in the preaching of the gospel of his son. 
And even if it is his traveling companions that Paul has immediately in mind, the work of proclaiming Jesus as Paul himself testifies in other places is the work of the whole church in its ministry labors. As I've said before, this is not the job of a select few, of the professionals, if you will. It's the job of everyone, the job of everyone who has met Christ and who trusts Him as Lord. All I'm saying is that if you are a Christian, you are in that we that Paul identifies as those who are called out to proclaim the gospel about Jesus Christ. And so, in every other church in this, so is every other church in this community where Jesus is proclaimed as Savior and Lord. And so is every other believer who proclaims Jesus as Savior and Lord. We have been called out to proclaim the good news of the gospel about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen, people of God. So again, I'll remind you the first part of our vision statement, which I want to highlight in these next couple of sermons, says to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids. And I want to tell you this morning that the joining reflects the we of Paul's statement. We are doing this together with those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And gospel ministry, gospel ministry reflects what it is we are doing together. What Paul describes as preaching not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So what are some of the elements that characterize the gospel ministry that we are committed to joining in in our own city? What are some of the elements of that gospel ministry? What characterizes it? I want to first say that it, what characterizes it is mercy. What characterizes gospel ministry is mercy. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's clear from the text that the Apostle Paul grounds the ministry of the gospel, which we proclaim in something other than what his critics grounded the message about Christ in. It's important to say uh, that Paul's critics are those who claim to be presenting the true message about Christ over against what Paul is proclaiming. Yet, whereas Paul's critics are grounding their ministry in their own credentials, a point that Paul alludes to uh, in these verses, the ministry Paul says we have is grounded not in our credentials, it is grounded in God's mercy. It's grounded in God's mercy, in His mercy. Somebody say mercy. The mercy of God. It's clear from Paul, uh, it's clear in what Paul writes in other parts of his letter that his critics did not find him impressive in his physical presence, nor in his preaching skills. Indeed, Paul speaks to the latter in chapter 11 of this same letter. He says in verse 6 of that chapter, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. And in his first letter to them in chapter 2, he says this, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
And though his critics attacked his ministry for what they perceived as his unimpressive presentation, Paul did not let that discourage him. He did not lose heart over that. In fact, he was not ashamed of the unpolished look of his ministry. I want to say that again. He was not ashamed of the unpolished look of his ministry. Why? It's because the ministry did not rest on his presentation. Its power and effectiveness was not rooted in some external show of skill and talent. Paul wasn't against skill or talent, but he believed that the gospel ministry was not grounded in it. Instead, he knew that it was grounded in nothing other than the mercy of God. Paul wasn't called because of his impressive presence. He wasn't called because of his impressive ability to present the gospel. He wasn't called because of his skill and because of his talent. He was called by the mercy of God. He was called because God loves showing compassion toward weak people, loves showing forgiveness toward sinful people, He was called because God loves taking what the world sees as weak and foolish and displaying the greatness of His power through it. His critics, his critics saw the weakness of His presence and the weakness of His presentation, and they mocked Him. Yet every time Paul looked at his weakness… And the fact that God had called him anyway, he saw mercy. No wonder, he says, later in this letter, in chapter 12, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to tell you this morning (laughs) that a church joining in gospel ministry must be a church that is resting its calling, not in its credentials, but in the mercy of God. When people encounter us, New City, when they come into this building, when they talk to you individually, when they encounter us in ministry, they should not encounter us as a church that is resting its laurels on our credentials, whatever we think those are, but rather on the fact that we are a people who have received mercy. Indeed, indeed, this should be a place where people experience mercy, where they experience compassion, where they experience forgiveness. The mercy, compassion, and forgiveness that is extended to them by God through His people. Amen, people of God. Recognition that the gospel ministry was rooted in the mercy of God manifested itself in Paul's life through his attitude. Paul was not puffed up in himself. He was not arrogant or boastful in the wrong sense like his critics. Even when Paul boasted, he boasted not in his credentials but in his weakness. 
And I want to say to you that if our vision is bearing fruit in our church and in the eyes of our neighbors in this community, then it will be because people encounter us as a people who do not boast in how great we are, but in how fortunate we are that we have received the mercy of the living God. And our attitude toward each other and toward our neighbors, our boast must be the mercy of God in Christ shown to people who do not deserve it. And this attitude is worked in us through reminding ourselves every day of this truth, reminding ourselves in our public preaching of the gospel, reminding ourselves in our training of leaders and volunteers, reminding ourselves in the way we respond to people who are sinning and straying from the gospel, reminding ourselves in our approach to the poor and to the needy and to the marginalized and the rejected in our community, mercy changed Paul's attitude toward people, and it should change ours as well. Do people encounter you as a person who has received mercy? And will they encounter us as a people who have received mercy? Or will they encounter us as a people who think we are better? Because of our education, because of our resources, because even though we say we're sinners, we don't actually think we're as jacked up as we really are. We don't, we, don't, we don't think we're really that bad as the people we're encountering on the street. Because if we're honest, we sometimes pray, not like that sinner in the parable that we just prayed this morning when we confessed our sins, but we often, if we're honest, pray like the Pharisee, God, thank you that I'm not like those folk whoever your, those folk are. Thank you that, that I don't look like them, that I don't do what they do, that I don't act how they act. Thank you that, that I tie. Thank you that I go to church. Thank you that I do all these religious things before you. I'm not as jacked up as those folk are. And that's where I'm resting. Not in the fact that you looked at me as messed up as I was, as broken as I was, as sinful as I was, as rebellious as I was, and rather than rejecting me, rather than casting me out, rather than pushing, him up, pushing me away, rather than, right, rather than walking by on the other side, you reached down and pulled me out of my mess. Put your arms around me and said, I love you. Put your arms around me and said, you matter. Put your arms around me and said, I want you to be a part of my family, put your arms around me and made me your own, even when I was a mess. You loved me. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't I was good and God saw my goodness and was like, man, that's a good dude. I want him to be a part of my family. The gospel, according to Romans, is that while you were yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so when people encounter us, do they encounter us as a people who recognize we have received mercy? Or do they encounter us as a people who believe 
in our resting in our own credentials and boasting in our own laurels rather than in what Christ has done for us. So a church joining in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids should be a church that's characterized by mercy. Amen, people of God. <laughs> should also be a church that's characterized by truth. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul speaks not only to the mercy of God as characteristic of gospel ministry, but to a commitment to the truth. The truth as we have received it in the Word of God. And when Paul speaks to renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways, refusing to practice cunning, and to tamper with the Word of God, he implies that his critics aren't committed to the same pattern of life. Indeed, they are in their desire to destroy Paul's ministry in Corinth. They are committed to a whatever-it-takes, whatever-it-takes approach. They were completely comfortable in the world of disgraceful and underhanded tactics, comfortable in the world of deceit, comfortable in the world of tampering with the Bible's message if it meant making Paul's message appear false. And remember, these were professing Christians. We ain't talking about the world. We are talking about church folk. And that Paul's critics were comfortable in the world of lies and disgraceful tactics only showed how far their hearts really were from the truth. Their commitment to deceitful practices showed that while they may have preached God's Word and preached about His Son, they were not bound to the truth of that Word or the truth of the message about Christ. And don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. There are folk like that in the Christian community. There are folk like that. I'll say it again, in the Christian community. Jesus himself warned us to be on the lookout for such people, saying in Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits, you will recognize them. Paul's words toward the critics to the gospel ministry uh, he has been committed to, along with all those who profess Christ in truth, may seem harsh to some. But Paul spoke on the basis of their actions, the fruit of their ministry, which was evident in the disgraceful and underhanded and deceitful way that they went about it. Paul notes them as on the road to destruction and as unbelievers blinded by Satan's lies, unable to see the glory of Christ because of their commitment to those lies. In contrast, True gospel ministry is rooted in an open statement of the truth, a commitment to presenting God's Word and the message about His Son as we have received it from Him. When Paul says open, he means plain for everyone to see. We want pe what we want people to do is, is to be able to do what is reported about the Bereans the Berean believers in Acts 17, verse 11, 
Now, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul is effectively saying there is no hidden agenda in our gospel ministry. And this is important, not only to say, but to be committed to, because people do often hide their agendas behind the Word of God. I'm going to say it again. People do often hide their agendas behind the Word of God. And one of the agendas of Paul's critics was clearly financial gain. They were preaching the gospel because they loved money, and the preaching of the gospel enabled them to get money out of people. And Paul alludes to this in his earlier letter in chapter 2 saying, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Others, of course, have other agendas, such as political agendas, that they hide behind the Word of God. But to join in gospel ministry, listen to me, means resisting the temptation to hide our selfish and self-promoting agendas behind the Word of God. God did not put us here in New City to help further someone's political, material, or ideological agenda. He put us here to preach the truth, the truth as it is presented to us by God in His Word and in the message of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will preach that truth, openly inviting everyone to examine the Scriptures for themselves to see if what we are saying is actually true. Because we're not trying to hide anything here. We want people to know that we are not here for us. We are here for Jesus Christ. We are not here to promote our selfish agendas. We are here to preach Jesus. And the call here in applying this vision is to not be enticed into the same deceitfulness that we see in our critics or our opponents. We live in a culture where openly lying to curry favor or to advance one's agenda is commonplace. Contrary to the belief of some, Jesus' call to be as wise as serpents isn't a call to lying. It is a call to knowing how to carry the truth and wield it rightly in a context where we are surrounded by enemies. But we live in a culture in which lying and misrepresenting the truth is everywhere. And to hear Christians defending people who lie simply because they represent their interests is grieving. To hear Christians defending people who lie simply because they represent their interests is grieving. I don't care who it is. Listen to me. I don't care who it is. A lie is a lie. And Christians have to stand, before, stand for what is right and true. Amen, people of God. Paul's opponents 
and speaking about his presentation of the gospel simply weren't telling the truth. And the church in Corinth was believing those lies because the super apostles, as Paul called them, satisfied the Corinthians' love of great oratory and knowledge. And it was grieving to Paul. It was grieving to his heart. The bottom line for us, church, is that we must be truth-tellers. We must be a people who tell it like the Bible says it is, even when doing so brings us into disfavor with particular people or groups of people. Yes, love must always characterize our speech, always, but so must the truth. And of course, telling the truth means listening to know what truth is to be applied at what time. Yet this is why this is why the Spirit of God is in us, right? Jesus told us in John chapter 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will speak not on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Yes, the truth is now contained in these 66 books of the Bible, but the same Spirit is in us to teach us this truth and to teach it teach us how to speak it into the lives of others. New City, if we're going to be a church joining in gospel ministry here, we have to be a church committed to the mercy of God, but we also have to be a church committed to proclaiming the truth of God as it has been presented to us in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The last thing that must characterize us, mercy, truth, the last thing Paul talks about in this text is service. Service. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Gospel ministry, as Paul presents it in this text, is characterized by mercy is characterized by the truth, and it's characterized by service. Paul's words that we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, strikes at the center of his critics' issue. They are self-promoters. They are self-promoters. In the end, though they are talking about Jesus, they are really preaching themselves. Their boast is in their oratory. Their boast is in their physical charisma. Their boast is in their ability to draw a crowd. Their boast is in their material wealth. And all of this is rooted in self-promotion. Jesus, in their gospel ministry, is little more than the lens through which people get to see them. They are the show. It's their names on the billboard. They are the marquee. Jesus is simply a means to an end. But Paul says, in essence, that while they are promoting themselves, admiring their own reflection in the mirror of their earthly successes, we are preaching Jesus. You see, we know what obviously has escaped their attention while they were looking at themselves in the mirror. We know that it was not any of them of which God said, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. We know that it was not any of them to whom God said, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. We know that it was not any of them to whom God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We know that it was not any of them to whom it was declared, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. So we'll just let them keep looking at themselves in the mirror of their own successes, patting themselves on the back for their great skill, their impressive resumes, and their great material wealth. In the meantime, we will preach the true Lord over all the earth, Jesus Christ the Lord. In fact, more than this, we will not only preach about him, but we will take the appropriate posture of those called out by him to proclaim the gospel concerning him. For his sake, we will take the posture of servants, both inside the church and outside of it, to the community around us. We will do as our Lord did, and we will wrap a proverbial towel around our waist, and we will get on our knees, and we will pick up a basin, and we will wash the proverbial feet of the people inside of our church, and we will wash the proverbial feet of folk outside of our church because we are not proclaiming ourselves. We are not telling people how good we are. We are not telling people how great we are. We want people to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, though we are free in Christ, for the sake of his glory, we will make ourselves servants. We will enter into the dirty places, the places of abandonment, of abuse, of injustice, of homelessness, of imprisonment, of abortion, and the like. And we will go into places like that with the towel around our waist, ready to serve, ready to prepare people to see what they can only see by an act of God's grace. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. While we are not the source of that light, brothers and sisters, we have been charged as servants with holding that light out to others and trusting God to do His work of making that light shine in people's hearts. To join in gospel ministry means to put a towel around your waist. It means to go out into the neighborhood around you and announce to the neighborhood around you, we're here for you. We are your servants for Christ's sake. Y'all ready for that? Is that the kind of church you're ready to be? You ready to put a towel around your waist? You ready to pick up a basin? You ready to wash somebody else's dirty feet? Ready to put on tiles, New City? Go wash the proverbial feet of people in our community? I pray that we are known as a servant church. And I don't want us just to just be known for preaching justice, but for doing it. 
not just for preaching mercy, but for doing it. Not just for preaching care, but for doing it. When we show up, I want our question to be the question Jesus asked to blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? I wonder how many churches show up at the door of people asking, what do you want us to do for you? We're good at saying, we're good at saying, here's what we're going to do for you. Here's what we know you need. Here's what we've ascertained through our own assessment of you and your neighborhood. But isn't it strange that the God of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, the one who set the planets in motion, (laughs) isn't it interesting that the God to whom all glory is owed and all praise and all worship, isn't it interesting that that God, who we should be asking, what do you want us to do for you, looks at us and says, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) So I hope our partnerships are started with that question in mind. And I hope that our ministry labors are begun with that question in mind. If so, we will be an effective gospel partner in our community, as well as bring to bear through our ministry that in the gospel Jesus has come to do in all our lives what only He can do for us, to set us free from the powers of sin and death in this life and in the life to come. Amen, people of God. Gospel ministry is characterized by mercy. It's characterized by truth. It's characterized by service. It's ministry where Jesus is at the center. It's ministry aimed at drawing people toward Him, in whom the light of God's glory shines fully. And in order for this to happen, such ministry must be characterized by mercy. An embrace of the compassion of God and His forgiveness is the grounds of that ministry call. It must be characterized by truth an open statement of the truth of God, resisting deceit and cunning, which is rooted in promoting ourselves rather than Christ. And it must be characterized by service that is aimed at helping people see the one in whom God's glory shines fully. New City, may our gospel ministry, may it keep Christ at the center, and may it be characterized by these same elements that characterize the ministry of the Apostle Paul and of God's prophets and preachers and His people in the Scriptures. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise, glory, honor, thanks for this gospel ministry that we have received by the mercy of God. We pray that You would help us to rest in that mercy and to extend that mercy to others as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in our community. I pray that your people would also be a people committed to the truth of God as it is presented to us in the Scriptures and in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would not give ourselves to deceitful, underhanded, cunning ways of operating in this world. And I pray that most of all, your people would be characterized by your same attitude 
an attitude of service, an attitude of wrapping a towel around your waist and washing your disciples' feet, an attitude of touching the blind, healing the sick, providing food for those who were hungry, helping those who were mistreated, standing up for those who were marginalized and rejected. I pray that that attitude of service would reflect, be reflected in our lives individually, and I pray that it be reflected in our congregation as a whole. May gospel ministry go forth from this place, and may your name be glorified, we pray, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.